Right. Okay, cool. All right. Hello and welcome to the DIY Recording Equipment Podcast. Today I'm here with Mark Allen Goodman at Strange Weather Sound. Uh, welcome, Mark. Hey, how's it going? Um, so to all those who have so nicely contacted me about the sound quality of the podcast, uh, today we're seeing a big step up. We're using one of these uh, DIY U47s that Mark built. Into U87s. U87, sorry, <laughs> thanks. Um, I'm sure I would get called out on that. That doesn't sound like a U47. Where's the mid-range authority, you know? Um, into a Neve 1070L, is that right? Yes. 1070L. Um, and then we're going into a API 1608. Are we hitting the 1608? On, on the way back out. On the way back out, okay. So it sounds good to me. And then uh, we're going digital via some the Burl B80 mothership, so... This is our best sound quality by a long shot so far. So Mar- it's on the next Rihanna record or something. But yeah. <laughs> um, so Mark's a studio owner, very active recording engineer in Brooklyn, but he also manages to build a lot of stuff, and he, he's kind of become his own tech. Is that fair to say for your that, studio? That was the goal. I mean, okay. I started out collecting a lot of vintage broadcast stuff. Okay, and realized that it requires a lot to upkeep. And it's expensive if you're having other techs do that upkeep work. Right. So that's the gate stuff? And yeah, that's the gates, the Collinses, the Raytheon, Tritronics. Well, this is over here. FAA. Okay. Federal. I see an RCA limiter over there? Or? Yeah. G, CBS. Wow, awesome. Uh, the Limpander, which if you ever see one of those, might be the coolest toy ever. However, now I think they're—I think the price is already blowing up on them. So it I'm might not, be the I'm coolest it logo. Right yeah, there goes the neighborhood, Mark. <laughs> uh, that is a very cool, like, 50s-looking logo. Oh, yeah. So all pre-transistor stuff. Yes. Okay. So you got your feet wet right away in the 300 volts and all that. Well, that was... I started tinkering with that stuff, and mm-hmm. I was first I was paying a lot for other people to work on it, and sure. decided I didn't want to do that anymore. Okay. And I started tinkering, and then I got scared. Okay. I shocked myself with 300 volts with that GE Unilevel. Because oh, wow. Put a, yeah. Put an XLR power cable on it with male pins, and mm. I grabbed the cable and touched the end of it, and, you know, burned right. my arm out for a day. Oh, my God. That, see, that's <laughs> what scares me about getting into tube stuff, but... Obviously, if you're careful about stuff like only using female XLR for the power connection and all that. I'm just a lot more careful of a person now. Right, <laughs> yeah, right. It taught me a lot of life lessons were learned in this yeah. process. Yeah, But uh, So I decided to start building some DIY stuff to start okay. working with simpler things. I really, I think the first thing I built was uh, that balanced to unbalanced converter based on the JLM Dingo Pup okay. boards. So all of our tape echoes would be able to get in, balance, oh. and get, come in at the okay. right level. It really improved the sound of all of the tape echoes. Okay, so that's a that's an active balancing thing, or is it yes, transformers? it's active. Okay. And it's uh, fussy. I it didn't is? do such a great job with oh, it. Oh, okay. No, <laughs> you wiggle the power cable, it may or may not work anymore for I a gotcha. little while. Yeah, I love how JLM does all that, those kind of util- little utility things that yeah. are super I, useful. I couldn't find... I mean, now I think a couple people have done them, but I couldn't right. find another source for something like that. It was yeah. either go transformers or etch something yourself. Right. And 
I have since tried etching. It is not fun. No, <laughs> you've got to be a, a real, real masochist to do to, to do, do your that. home etching. Yeah. yeah, and especially with like places like Batch PCB now that will do twenty dollar yeah. one off circuit boards and stuff. Exactly. But yeah, I thought I was going to set up a rapid prototyping thing at home etching, and it just it it was it was slowing me down. If anything, yeah, trying to get all set up and so frustrating but props to those that can do it um oh yeah i mean it's it's just another one of those things where you can get deeper into the art you can go as deep as you want my chassis if i don't buy a pre-cut chassis it ends up being pretty simple right because i don't have the the will to spend time on the metal work right some people do and i see stuff on like group diy where people do beautiful unbelievable stuff with custom metal work you know for about five seconds, I looked at building my own CNC machine, and then I was like, right. forget this. Yep. <laughs> Front Panel Express works great. Right, They're exactly. a little expensive, but I don't build that much stuff. It'll be all right. Right, Well, and when you begin to appreciate how involved the metalwork is, and, yeah, I mean, it's like, when you first start out and you're pricing out a project, you always forget about that the chassis for some reason. Yeah. Pricing out and timing out a project, you're like, oh, it's only... $40 in parts from Mouser and you know why is it $2,000 from the, the manufacturer or whatever and then you realize oh I gotta put this in a box yeah. you know, and make it look pretty I gotta fold metal right <laughs> yeah, wait for that part right yeah um, well you did develop a project or you were involved in developing a project I was, recently I, don't, I can't take too much credit for those right. Harrison PCBs okay so this was the called the Harrison Ford filter mm-hmm. and it was uh can't take credit for the name either okay <laughs> uh that belongs to harrison ford's mother then. yeah yeah um <laughs> tell us about that project uh this guy rafael castillo uh basically had been working on uh eq it was based roughly on an amec board eq and he okay. wanted to add some filters so we figured out the harrison eq circuit and the harrison filter circuit and just kind of tagged that in there okay and he really liked his results, and I was talking about trying to find a way to build just some high and low pass filters. Because high and low pass filters seem, they're just this strange thing. They're difficult to find. Interesting. It's like maybe you have an integrated two setting one on a mic pre. Right. Or like some EQs will have them, but it's rare even right. for an EQ to have one. Huh. Well, they're extremely useful. And you know, that's why Harrison had them on every channel of their desks. Right. And if you want to get a good sounding one, there are options out there, but they're expensive. You know, okay. it's no cheaper than five hundred bucks a channel to get right. the shiny box or to get the APIs right. or something like that. Uh-huh. So you know, the the Harrison is a really simple circuit. It's really cheap parts. They talk about parts. It's like right. ten dollars in parts or something. Okay, awesome. But uh, so I talked to Raphael, knowing that he'd already done it, and he's like, "Oh yeah, I kind of have this PCB layout together. You want to try it out? I don't really want to spend time on it." So he sent me the layout, and I prototyped it, and went back to him, and we made some adjustments, and prototyped it again. Went through two or three little revisions. Okay. And then, you know, I figured in order to pay for my own, I'd offer them to other people on Group DIY. Yeah. Which was a, a lesson well learned. <laughs> I did that once. You know, it's... It takes it takes a lot of effort to, to put one of those together. But I take a lot from that community, and right. I owe a lot to the Group DIY community. Absolutely. So I really yeah. want to make an effort, even when it's difficult to continue to contribute right. whatever I can. Sure, yeah. You know, I'm not an electrical engineer. I don't have the, right. the amassed knowledge a lot of these guys do. Yeah. 
But I think making that board available, and now Dan at Collective Cases, who did a case for it, has right. taken over production of the boards. They're, they're still available to people. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Um, yeah, Dan Derlou, CollectiveCases.com. He has a, a custom front panel and everything for that project for racking eight in a box, right? Yeah, eight in a one rack. Okay, yeah, that's awesome. I'm keeping, I got two of them. We're going to have 16 channels of it set up and we move into the new space. Cool. So how does it sound? They sound great. The, the thing that I immediately noticed about them was the filters don't sweep all the way out the way Harrison has it set up. Okay. So the resonant peaks are still well within the audible range when the filters are all the way open. Okay. Which means that when you put the thing in, you get this nice boost in the subs and you get this mm. nice boost in the air. No wonder everybody always thought they sounded amazing. Oh, wow. <laughs> cheap filters. Yeah. You pop them in, it makes everything sound good. Oh, that's, so you get this kind of automatic smiley. Yeah, thing going just on. really gentle. Really gentle. Oh, but it's very cool. It sounds great. And I mean, as far as filters, they sound good. Right. They're functional. They're not huge, overbuilt, discreet. Right. You know, I, a lot of the stuff I work with, I really focus on maintaining right. the clarity of the signal path, and I don't feel like they're. Uh, disturbing the signal path right. in any way, yeah. even though they're a simple design. Right. And well and high and low good high and low pass filters are just so useful. I it's, mean like it's such an important tool. Yeah. It's it's the kind of thing where go back to the beginning of recording. Uh-huh. Go back to radio broadcast right. use. They would absolutely have those on right. hand. That's something that nobody would go without. Right. And now you you don't see them really. Well and in in the tape Era, they were yeah. kind of built in, yeah, to the medium. Exactly. Uh, maybe not high and low pass, but certainly shelves on either end. Uh, and now, I can't imagine recording like distorted guitars without a low pass filter or something. Exactly. Um, or so. something where it's moving the mic and moving the mic stand as right. much as it's moving the air. Right. You know. Yeah. So very cool. Yeah, those are still available. Um, I think it's 180 for all the circuit boards and the pre-drilled case and the panel from Dan. Yeah, yeah, you'd have to ask Dan. And then maybe, <laughs> and then you're thinking maybe ten dollars in parts for each channel. Yeah, I mean the the pots are a little more expensive because right. they're, they're kind of weird pots. But even still, maybe it's ten dollars for the pots and ten dollars for the rest of the parts. Are they reverse log or something? Yeah. Okay. They're reverse With, log dual oh, 47k. Oh, okay. So they're, they're interesting. I tried to figure out a way to get around that. Right. And, you know, doing it with other pots, and it just, it, it yeah. sucked. It wasn't right. The throw was already so short on them because they sweep all the way open and close. They sweep wow. down to, like, you know, the, the low-pass filter sweeps down to 100 hertz or something. Oh, wow. Wow. So it's a lot of range yeah. on a tiny little pot. Right. And, and what's it? Ba- it's a chip-based thing? Yeah, it's IC? chip-based. What's the IC? It's a... Uh, Man, I'm trying to remember. TLO 74, I think. Oh, really? It's, you know, it's really... Just a, just a little op amp. Just a little op amp. Wow. Very, whole game. very cool. Yeah, I have a couple of those boards that I got from your group by. I'll have to... I'm. This has really piqued my interest to get those going. <laughs> um, so I'm looking at your, your API 1608 desk right now. And in the EQ buckets here, I see... It, uh, eight uh, of the LAZ EQNs, which is a DIY 1084, mm-hmm. Neve 1084. Uh, wow. How many of those did you build? <laughs> uh, I built 16 of them. I built them to fill a bucket in the desk. Or I, I started with eight, and then okay. I added another eight, 
and now I've trimmed back to eight again. Okay. But uh, you know, they're they're fantastic EQs. Really, I, you know, the desk came with the API EQs, and I really like API EQs, but uh-huh. not on everything. Right. So I started looking for other options. The first things I ended up with were those purple odds, which are based on this Autotronics desk that I used to work on. Oh, okay. So I, I was really familiar with them. I got a whole bunch of those. I still love those. But I wanted to get something Neve-ish, Neve-world uh-huh. to try out. And, you know, Peter killed it. I put them up against some Brent Averills. I put them up against our real Neves. We had 1064s, 1070s. Uh-huh. 1081 is a slightly different circuit, but we put it up against that too. That's right. There was, You had a tape-op article about this kind of 1084 shootout, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's... They held up. You know, they're not... They're not quite a real Neve. Right. It's not like Colin... AML yeah. has his EZ1073. I had one of those in for review. Uh-huh. Undoubtedly, that is a real Neve. Wow. That thing okay. was right in there with our 1070s. Wow. Perfect. The the EQN is a little different. It's a little bit of its own flavor. There are a couple little changes. Okay. And uh, it works. Right. It's a great EQ. It's a yeah. great console EQ to have. Okay. Again, cool. it's got a high-pass filter. Hey, yay! <laughs> nice. I appreciate that. Right, yeah, great. I've heard a bit. I'm curious, a little off topic about these Audiotronics EQs. I've heard. I suppose maybe I saw Joel Hamilton t- praising it was his them. Desk. It was his desk. Yes. Okay, and he said the, they were one of his favorite EQs and kind of funky. What What are they all about? They're inductive coil EQs. Oh, okay. They're really smooth sounding, and they're. Really, the, the trick to them is there's not many points. There's no control over the queue. There's okay. two points per band. They're four bands. Okay. And they just work everywhere. Huh. You know, if you want to bring more air out on top, you can flip it to 12K and open it up all the way, and it's never going to hurt you. Okay. Huh. Cool. So they're really nice, especially when tracking. Okay. If you want to just, like, gently manipulate the sound and kind of move it. You're not trying to do anything surgical. You're just trying to bump it around and reshape yeah, right. it a little bit. Right. Fantastic for it. You know, it's like having a program EQ that's a little more capable. Right. Okay. So I, I was just talking in the last podcast to um, to Duncan Gray about these kind of tools, and especially EQs, where you do one thing and it responds. And it's not a surgical thing. It's, yeah. it's a kind of uh, dynamic system. Absolutely. Then that, that stuff can be really fun. So... Cool. I had no idea they were inductor-based EQs. That's mm-hmm. really interesting. And I, I have to throw in a word for Ed Anderson and for Purple. Mm-hmm. They're, essentially, the, the odd is a copy of it, but it's a copy of the equalizer design, but not of the amplifier design at all. Okay. It's entirely their amp. Okay. And their amps slaughter what was used in the Autotronics. Oh, cool. And Autotronics made a two-channel rack mount version of their uh, EQ. I think it was the PEQ82. I had one for a while. PEQ as in similar to the Poltec nomenclature. Yeah. And uh, okay. the the purple odds just stomped all over it. <laughs> it wasn't even close. Very cool. And I mean, the one that was the desk I used to work on was modified by Ed before uh-huh. he was working for purple. Oh, put, okay. you know, daughterboard discrete amplifiers on every channel. So there. I remember seeing this in my days of just sitting in my bedroom and lurking on the tape op message board all day. Mm-hmm. That Joel had done put like nine nineties in every 
in the was buses it, or something or uh, it wasn't 990s it, it was wasn't okay. something that I think it was the purple op amp Oh, Ed was getting them. Okay, I think Joel put Ed in contact with Andrew at Purple, and that's how they first met. I'm not entirely okay. sure about that. I don't want to make any claims on that. Right, one. and now Ed, obviously a huge force, I suppose, in the DIY community with his API transformers and mm-hmm. Neve transformers and Borns and exactly kind and of the transformer dude in the DIY community. And Purple was a big voice. Purple had those original 1176 kits. Right, nobody else. I can't think of another kit from that era. You know, that was yeah, the 90s. Right. Um, yeah, absolutely. It's not... The, I think DIY has seen, like, a much larger audience in the last few years than oh, it ever had before, but it's not like it's, a, you know, born yesterday. Well, I mean, recording engineers, the word engineer is there because it was an electrical engineering position. Right, yeah. So a lot of people, especially built their own gear, they knew what they wanted, they had right. techs on staff who could build things for them. Right. That was how studios originally started to develop. Now that everybody can have a studio, which didn't happen until, you know, after the year 2000, really, right. where everyone could have a good-sounding home studio for right. cheap. Before, people had four tracks. I, I had four track for years, but right. it wasn't the same thing. You didn't have to worry about having nice, discreet EQs going into my Tascam Borda studio. Sure, right. But now that everybody can, they're more interested in finding less expensive ways. I shouldn't say less expensive. <laughs> I don't think DIY is necessarily any less expensive. Yeah, but it can be and it can not be. It can yeah. be, but you can get exactly what you want. Right, exactly. If you learn how to do it, you can find ways to develop exactly the thing you're looking for. In a right. way that you can't with off-the-shelf, even though there are so many boutique off-the-shelf options nowadays. Right. Well, and once you get into it, you can do stuff... Like you were saying, uh, uh, earlier you were talking about your DIY 1176s and your Red 47 that you had tweaked a bit. And that's what's cool, too. You can have stuff, like the old days, where if you went to a studio, like, uh, for example, like the Helios... Was it Island that had the Helios Uh, console? Or... uh, Or... Man. It used to be... I know this. Right. This is in my head right here. Okay, so... (laughs) But Cut it was that. Like, I look like an idiot. It, yeah, we'll we'll fix it in post. But like when you went to a studio, you were using their desk and their desk only, exactly. and it might be totally unique. Um, and I think it would be really cool. And I, well, I think it is really cool that uh, if you've got a soldering iron and some enthusiasm and a, t- a shitload of patience, uh, you patience could, is key, right? You could kind of do that. You know, you could be the only guy in town with like a rack of. Melkor preamps or a red 47 with you know whatever tubes or transformers you've decided to put in it and make something magical that's not a clone and is not an off the shelf thing that yeah. that is like uh, the strange weather preamp or whatever the Peterson Goodwin EQ you know absolutely it's it's a little different for us in the more commercial studio environment uh-huh when it was a home studio you know, you build what you want, it doesn't really matter as much. Right. There's there's a value to the cachet of names. Yeah, sure. That, that really matters. Right. You know, when people are looking for a studio to work in, especially somewhere like Brooklyn, where there's probably a hundred studios in right. 11211. Yeah. Uh, people are looking for those names first thing to jump out. But I felt like once we started to have enough pieces covering right. that territory, 
what was the point of spending $4,000 on an 1176? Right. And I could build one I'd be totally happy with right. for $500. Yeah. Well, and I, it will be really interesting to see what happens in the next couple decades with that, whether, um, you know, like you're saying, musicians now are keen to names like Neve and Neumann mm-hmm. and want to know, or like, oh, hey, do you have a studer? You were just saying... Oh, yeah. Tape it, machines are big. It's, right. Everybody wants to come in the door and see a tape machine. Right. They don't want to pay for tape. They don't want to wait for it to rewind. They right. don't want you to calibrate the thing on their clock, but they definitely want to see it there. Right. So it, in a way, it, it almost seems like... Th- this is kind of the dialogue for recording engineers. Maybe between a decade and a half decade ago of tape versus digital, mm-hmm. which thankfully we seem to be kind of past... Uh, I mean, tape is still different. There's oh, no doubt. absolutely. But I in no way, you know, if... But you see this in conversation... it was still better. Right. Now it is not better. Right. And you, st- you don't see this conversation anymore of, of simply out of context asking which is better, tape yes. or digital. And you don't... I don't think you have the same degree of, like, uh, tape snobbery that maybe you did in, in 2000. And maybe it was much more warranted back then. Uh... But I, it'll be interesting to see how, as DIY becomes more of a known quantity in the recording world, mm-hmm. if it also will <laughs> uh, trickle down to the musicians who will kind of think, oh, well, you know, have you built anything? Do you have anything unique? Uh, you know, okay, cool, you have a Neve, but, uh, like, is there is there a Mark Allen Goodman special, <laughs> you know, or something? That, that'll definitely be the day. Right. You know, right now, it's really the engineers who come in, and they're interested in right. seeing and trying stuff, and they see something different, and they go, oh, this is different, this is cool. Right. Let's give it a shot. Yeah. So, I, I'm curious, from a very practical point of view, how you, as a studio owner and active recording engineer, manage to build all this stuff. Do you feel like this is the kind of... that um, is DIY like a hobby for you, or is it part of your your business? A little of both. I it's it's kind of mixed into everything. Okay. You no, know, it's definitely it is part of the business. Does it? What makes something professional when you're making money on it? Am right. I making money back having the DIY equipment? I'm making money having a studio. Right. Is the DIY equipment attracting people or not? You know, it's it's kind of impossible to quantify in that way. Okay. I probably spend more money on it than I earn as far sure. as DIY equipment. Definitely spend right. more time. Yeah. But I've learned so much doing it about what we're doing as enge- as recording engineers. Okay. Something I didn't... I never thought about prior to getting involved in DIY recording uh-huh. is the fact that really we're working with electricity. That's uh-huh. why we're engineers. Right. The musician makes sound, but the second it touches that capsule, it's electricity, and we hand it to them as a format where they can replay right. it as electricity. And they're going to convert it back to audio however they want right. in their own home. Really, every time you turn a knob, you're not manipulating sound. You're manipulating the electricity that in turn is getting converted back into the sound. Yeah, wow. Uh-huh. Having more of an understanding about what's happening to that electricity and how it's being done has opened up a whole new world sound-wise for me. Yeah. It's, you know... That's that's a really, uh, really interesting formulation of what we do that I had, I had never thought of before. That Essentially, you know, we call it signal, but what is signal? It's electrons moving exactly. through a conductor. and uh, it's, it's handoffs 
of, right. of this electrical signal, uh-huh. where it's coming in, and one amplifier takes the signal and imprints it onto a you know fresh piece of electricity, right? And sends it to the next amplifier, and there's a hundred amplifiers in the chain. They're right. all over the place, and this opens up all, all kind of this world of of analogies that so say. We, we think it's important for a drummer to kind of know his drums and how to tune his drums. It, what might be analogous to that is like impedance or, or grounding or something. And that impedance is a, a, a really important factor in how we trans, transfer, you know, information, signal from one stage to the next. It's kind of similar to like a drummer transferring, you know, what, what he's trying to do into mechanical vibration. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, impedance doesn't really slap most people in the face when they're working at home. Right. Because they don't have a patch bay and they don't have molts. Yeah. As soon as you have a molt, all of a sudden impedance makes a huge difference. Right. I mean, it it makes a huge difference in the first place, but all of a sudden it's a clearly identifiable difference. Right. When all of a sudden you split something, the two pieces of gear, and both of them sound completely different than they did a second ago. You're like, well, why... Did right. that happen? And is this happening in the signal chain to individual things? And right. I just don't know because I can't hear the other option? Yeah. Well, and and especially if you're getting into, like, you have vintage gear that was built for telecommunication or radio yeah. with the, the 600-ohm format. It's, uh, it's fussy. Yeah. It's a little fussy. It's a little fussy. And a lot of stuff, uh, you might have trouble driving the 600-ohm load or... Stuff that's really good to know once you get in into a room full of gear and different different stuff. So yeah, I mean, really, where DIY has been extremely important to the studio uh-huh. is teaching me how to fix things. Yeah, it's too expensive and too time consuming to rely on someone else to make every simple repair. Uh-huh. And the more I can understand about how things work, the more I can repair them, the more I'm able to work with them musically as well. Yeah. Yeah. I want to be able to open up a piece of gear and look at it and say, this is doing this, and this is doing this, and that is obviously leaking, and there's a problem. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Yeah, Yeah, it's very cool. I mean, some days I feel bad that I spend so much time building stuff and thinking about this stuff, and, and there... You know, I've seen this on the group DIY community and stuff where people say, hey, I picked up a guitar today for the first time in two years instead of a soldering iron. It felt great. And, you know, I I relate to that. Like, it is easy to get lost in DIY. But it's it's really refreshing to hear kind of your perspective about how it it can be not just a distraction from your craft, but part of deepening your involvement and knowledge of the craft and, and part of being a balanced, well-rounded engineer, you know. I think so. Yeah. Very cool. Well, shall we end on that note? Uh, is there anything... What's next for you? Any what, Any projects on the table right now? Well, right now, I'm in the middle of recapping our 24-track Studer 820 machine. Oh, so that's, that's right. That's, that's, that's I got a, a lot deal. of that on my plate for a little while, and we're building the new studio, so as soon as that's done, I'll be soldering cables for the rest of okay. my life. So but not <laughs> not 
not sexy stuff. But. Not sexy stuff. I have a couple more of these U87 clones I'm in the process of building. Oh, i got some okay. original Transformers. I'm going to try to get some Neumann capsules. All right. And, you know, the first couple I built, I used the Cinemag Transformers and the Peluso capsule to keep costs down. Yeah. Now that I know that I can do it and it's not going to blow up. Yeah, a microphone was a big step for me. Sure. You know, sure. internal impedances in a microphone are infinitely different than they are in any other right. piece of gear. Yeah. You're working on a whole different scale. But now that I've figured out that I can do it without destroying all of the parts, I'm willing to get involved with some more expensive yeah. parts. That's great. How do you like this uh, 87 oh, we're talking into here? It's, it's fantastic. What capsule are you using? It's a Peluso oh, okay. 87 style, but it's, you know, it's just a really good all-around mic. It totally stands up. I had a vintage 87 that as soon as I built these two, I sold. I said, I'm going to sell this and buy three Neumann capsules yeah. and build three good U87s out of it. Very cool. So you can save money with DIY. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you I mean, didn't save money. Didn't you just got more money. mics. Yeah. <laughs> but I'll use them. Right. They'll get used. Right. All right. Very cool. Thanks so much, Mark. Thank you. Peace. Yeah.